0: This is Season 2, Episode 10 of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your game. Doesn't matter if you're a game master or a player, you'll find advice, ideas, and some strong opinions. Tonight's episode, Creating Interesting Fights in Combat, or I Am Not Left-Handed. Once again, welcome to Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast. Like I said, we're going to be about maximizing your game and giving you ideas and all sorts of good stuff like that. I'm Carl with my co-hosts, Eric and James, and you can find information about the show at masteringtherpg.com. Send us some email, feedback, questions, suggestions, whatever, at gamemaster at masteringtherpg.com. Good to have you guys back on the mics. It seems like it's been forever, but it hasn't really been. So, welcome. Good night or good day. <laughs> how you guys doing? Good
1: morning. Yeah, I'm going great, Carl. How are you?
0: I'm fantastic. I'm fantastic. Been having a lot of fun with our games and everything. So, how about you, Eric? How you been doing?
2: Yeah, I've been doing all right. Uh, yeah, same thing. And we had some um, fun games and some fun um, stuff on the uh, tabletop Tango channel too. Did oh, an interesting yeah. live show with the uh, publishers from Pet Pinnacle, the people who make it. So that was cool.
0: Yeah, we had. Congratulations.
1: Uh, a big yep. milestone. Congratulations.
2: Yeah, yeah. 150. Does it make sense?
0: <laughs> 150 episodes, and there would be a little more, but there's a couple that were unnumbered. And uh, it was awesome that Peg is the guys who make the game. We had their marketing director, their creative director, some other folks, and uh, gave them a quiz quiz them on savage worlds and they really didn't do as well as i thought they were going to (laughs) do i think i made the questions too hard i did research some of them were yeah yeah some Some of them them were were. probably way too hard um i didn't think they were but they probably were so um were you like one of those
1: comic-con panels where where you've got obscure canon and law that that the actors have no idea what you're talking about was it kind of one of those experiences (laughs)
0: <laughs> it, yeah. It, it could have yeah. been a little bit like that.
1: Some some were pretty simple. <laughs> sure.
0: Well, some were like mechanics. Some were like rule based that they yeah. should have been yeah. able to get, you know. It's like <laughs> medium cover, minus four. I, I thought that was easy, but you know, if you don't if you're not thinking of it it's easy to kind of get Hey there's a lot of rules the, even for people yeah, who write the game like yeah. there's just a lot right yeah. in all these games nobody can that that just
2: shows you that nobody can have like an encyclopedic knowledge all right nobody's perfect in that way so yeah yeah,
0: yeah. and they did they did, they were just an absolute hoot it was just so much fun hanging out with them and we and sure. we got
2: some like previews and like dates we got some scoops so that was cool <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that was anyway, close, congratulations so 150 episodes of anything is no mean feat so well done gentlemen that's great news
0: so uh, so what else uh so james you've had some interesting stuff going on what's been uh, oh, yeah. you mentioned a little bit of a tidbit when we were talking earlier
1: I, I I've had a weird week. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm having one of these strange weeks as a dungeon master. I'm running six weeks, six games this week, and they're all bizarrely all in dungeons, which is which is an interesting way to spend your week. Moving, spending a week, spending what 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 is it? Seventeen hours in in a five foot by five foot grid. I'm <laughs> just kind of moving things <laughs> methodically through a dungeon. Um, and and I, I must admit, I, I have a bit of a a tragic story, and I feel—I I, should—I feel guilty about this. I don't know. I, I don't deliberately try and kill my characters, um, but I had a, a player lose his third character in the same campaign uh, this week. Uh, they're only level four. This- this poor guy lost his armorer <laughs> artificer, which is like an, the most Tank. heavily armored yeah. thing I've ever seen. This guy's this guy's gone from a cleric which, with heavy armor to a paladin with heavy armor to an armorer artificer. Okay, uh, uh, just to, because <laughs> I think I think he's getting more and more um, annoyed that he he dies all the time, um, and the poor bugger has just had a, a rough trot. So I had to console a player that lost his third character. And he always plays campaign. the
2: tank, like right he wants that role, but he like it just keeps happening where he goes down it's he, nice he has turned conference. into
1: that he started off as the group's healer and and then uh, when when he died, he went, well, that didn't work, I better put on some more armor, so I'll be a paladin so that i can <laughs> I can be tougher and more armored and then he died, and then now well that now i'm I'm really sick of being killed, so now I'm gonna play a a guy that builds his own iron man uh kind of armor suit, yeah. and then he died. Um, And yeah, I I feel I feel bad. I feel bad. But but it's one of those things. And and perhaps we will maybe we'll talk about this uh, later on the episode. It was one of those encounters where they were massively overpowered, like um, the enemies were overpowered to what they were. Um, My, my thought was, is that they would recognize that the threat was massive, and they would flee.
0: (laughs) Oh, and they t- did not. Oh, yes. that's, that's a <laughs> yeah, lot to <they> ask <laughs> the player characters. You know, players, they, they don't classic, like their run. Yeah.
2: yeah, that is the classic trap. That Yeah, we can yeah. talk about that. Because, I yeah, we, we might even do a separate episode about that or part of something else. Because I don't know if we'll even get to that in this episode. But that is something that I've seen. And it's kind of like cause certain game masters might do that. And then you kind of learn, you know. Like I had that in my, my, my new Pathfinder game I made. That's how the GM was. And he, like, made these things. And... Because at first you just when you play so many games you would expect that oh the game master is matching these encounters to us like and you just expect that to be the reality and even when they like might hint at you you might not just keep it up because you're like just I'm ready to go I'm ready to use my abilities right we've been role playing for the last two hours I'm ready to use my combat so yeah that goes over players head a lot so I think w- that will be an interesting discussion about like how do yeah. you tell players how do you make sure players know. And about that. So that's interesting.
1: And for me, it was about speeding things up. So these guys were just kind of taking their sweet ass time to kind of maneuver through a dungeon. And I'm like, we're done with this. I want to get you out of here. So uh, I'm going to make you run out of the dungeon rather than just slowly five foot by five foot work your way out of the dungeon. Yeah. So I brought in what I thought was an obviously massive beast that was sharpening its claws on the walls of the the dungeon and and slammed into the barbarian and took him down half his hit points with one one fell swoop and then roared and he was massive and regenerating and a scary thing and they were like we can take him and they really couldn't and uh, i feel bad now but you know That's what do you do?
2: like i i almost think that in those i mean this is not the topic but i just had this thought because i remember when me and carl when carl was doing his um, dragon lance game and we were talking about the fighting the dragon and i remember like when we were talking about i was like dramatic task might use a dramatic task force instead of a normal combat i almost feel like for when you want to do that for a player, like don't even do a normal combat. Do like a skill check where it's not about fighting them. It's just like, it's okay, you're going to running. do this. It's just about surviving and getting away. Like that's the encounter. I think that's almost probably the better way to do it because players will just want to fight because they think, oh, we are the heroes of the story, right? Like <laughs> we can be, so we, we, we have to explore this. I think we have to explore this more, but, Perhaps yeah, yeah, up episode. but, but I but digress. So a strange, right. a strange, Throw it in uh, Throw it in a strange upper. week.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's Very cool. But how the game's been panning out? How about for you, Carl Um the game's been doing pretty pretty well. We had a couple of weeks off. We've we've had a hard time yeah. recently. There've been a lot of a uh, lot of absences, but Scheduling. they just got done saving a planet from <laughs> annihilating themselves in a thermonuclear nuclear war and they came down and we're like the aliens look we're from the, we're from space and we're aliens <laughs> and we know better you need to listen to us and they did because they, they did a good job convincing them even though the uh bad guys knew what was going on and there will be retribution from the, the yeah. forces at work now that that's happened so um but it was i made cool. a
2: concerted i made a concerted effort to to uh to fix their environmental uh, <laughs> environmental problems, they're they're impending environmental collapse. Uh, like I made the concerted effort to like, here's what we'll do for you, if you, so you'll listen to us.
1: Um, so so zero prime directive for this group is that what oh, right? yeah, oh, no, no, no 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 it's <laughs> the opposite
2: of prime directive. Because uh, we, we even talk about that in the game, where like because of the because this is the game that we played two or three games ago, and it's the same world, but like kind of sped up, like later on in the future. Like, it's a, just a different philosophy. And, like, so we actually talked about that. Like, we would have no problem. Like, it's the opposite. Like, my character literally wants to bring things, like, a person back with him to be like, hey, look. <laughs> like, this is what they're about. Or like, but yeah, like, they're just, they're like the op. They, they want to interfere as much as possible. So. Yeah, they've
0: literally uh, taken an entire society already back to their home planet and look, is looking yeah. at their skills and saying, yes, they can build stuff that we can't. Let's take advantage of that capability they have that we now I have to teach, teach them people. how to like
2: build better weapons on their planet yeah, so
0: it's yeah. Been <laughs> it's a fun. lot of Very cultural cool. uh, cultural um yeah anyways no worries about that um, how about your games eric you've been have your stuff yeah, been mean, going on that uh, yeah, that's pretty much pretty much it <laughs> okay all right keep it on My game is keeping them, keeping them honest. Okay. So, hey, this week we actually have both an email and a cool stuff found all wrapped into a single package. It's like both. So I don't know which music I should use to introduce this, (laughs) but it's both. Um, I think we have cool stuff found. Do you copy? Cool stuff found. Over.
2: Cool stuff.
1: (laughs) It's a cool stuff, man, for sure.
0: Okay, it's a cool stuff. All right. Um, so this is from Brent. Um, it says he says, "Hi guys, I have listened to every episode of the podcast, and they've all been helpful and fun. Thank you all." Apropos your most current, recent episode on building cohesive groups, I recently found, but not ha- yet used, an intriguing product that might help address many of the good points and tips you discussed. Called backstory, Car- and the, the product he's saying is called Backstory Cards by Ryan macklin and uh, looks like the company's the immaterial plane and he uh, provides a link to drive through RPG to an actual foundry module that has the the game um, th- this mini game in it so it's it's essentially a mini game to define kind of relationships and backstory of the group as a whole um, and so what's interesting is I James found a copy of like a preview copy of this and was looking at it. And basically the card has kind of a tag, whether it's co-op, it's an adversarial uh, relationship, something along those lines. And then it has a prompt. uh, Like for example, one card says you and a PC work to undermine or directly combat one of a groups. And you define that groups machinations. What did the conflict cost you? What did it cost the group? And so it's, it's interesting that now you start answering those questions, and there's some prompts as to you know which character on the or which player on the table you would be working with and discussing so i don't know what do you guys think of kind of a mini game with these questions uh, that would kind of prompt um, sort of that yeah, it's a, type discussion
1: it's a really interesting um, little set of cards and a really great little resource um We've talked a lot about Session Zero and about how, as a storyteller, you might present a world and then you invite your players to create backstories that might link into this world. And I think this product um, kind of ups the ante on this a little bit and, and really solidifies some of those concepts. So the idea is is that you, you, you start with a list of what they call a setting grid where you might put places and organizations and characters and bits and pieces as a storyteller into your setting grid and then one by one the players draw these cards to try and get connections both between their character and the setting between the character and other characters and characters and their adversaries and it looks like a really interesting way to do it i'm a i'm a very big fan of random tables to help Kind of get the creative juices going. This thing takes it a, a way far more, a, a much larger step forward. It's almost like having a bit of a game of Uno before you are, before you actually get started playing. And, and it looks like this with this would really be a big chunk of a session zero. Um, I've only got the preview copy of this. I, I didn't actually purchase the full copy. So um, there's some great examples about how this might be used. Um, and and it'd be really interesting to see the full extent of, of, of the full gamut of cards. And, and it looks like they've done heaps of these. Uh, um, what's the name of the company? Uh, Brooklyn Indie Games have produced a whole heap of different expansions that you could use for a sci-fi game or a Wild West game and things like that to build the character's backstory. Um, I'm all in favour for any product or anything that will help provide that cohesive gaming group that helps to provide interconnections between characters in order to to get that cohesiveness before you even start it's not a bad little product really um eric what did you think have you had a chance to have a look
2: no not really i I haven't but uh, it seems i mean i've seen some stuff like this yeah it seems really cool i mean it's cool there's a full foundry module or you can get the pdfs it does look like it's it's more leaning toward Fate Core. I guess that's kind of what they made it in mind, but it's generic, right? It can be used for anything. But they, they talk about how it directly integrates into the um, character creation for Fate and Fate Accelerated. Um, I, I Generally, I think these type of products are really good for like things like Fate or some Apocalypse Engine games, like shorter campaigns or like one-shots, like, you know, quote-unquote one-shots, like a, like a mini campaign. I think these things would be really good because you don't necessarily need to you know have everybody write their own backstories and see how they implement together like you don't have time for that in those shorter games so to me the strength of this really seems like for shorter games like that um but yeah i'd I'd certainly be interested to give it a go and like try it as an experiment for like a mini campaign or a one shot Uh, i think it'd be fun
1: it's a good point i think if for a longer campaign if you were doing a longer narrative driven campaign this kind of releases um surrenders the reins a little bit in that yeah um, i' I'm not That's sure right. I'd be overly comfortable with that much randomness infiltrating kind of my my background stories yeah. on how these characters work together, but if you want a quick and dirty kind of let's get into this, how do our characters know each other um and 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 provide you with some story prompts about how this might work sure i, I think I think it looks like a very fine product
2: yeah and 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 like shorter games was when I'm interested in playing like really different character types. So this could like force you into playing a character type that you would not normally want to play, right? Um so yeah. here it go. Seems really cool. <laughs> well good 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 uh good call out from the uh listener.
0: Thank you, Brent. I appreciate that. Um it looks like uh is uh if I read further it's um trying to use it uh coming up in a King Arthur Pendragon game which should be oh cool interesting Ooh, awesome. and fun. So that um very cool. Very cool. Again thank you Brent pen, appreciate pen- the email
1: Pendragon, uh, which is a Chaosian, I think it's—I believe it's about to get a new reprint. Uh, Pendragon is, is is as ancient as Avalon. It's a really old system, oh, yeah. um, so uh, I'll be really interested to see what they do with uh, when they come up and redo it. So, uh, good one. I haven't—I haven't thought of or played Pendragon <laughs> in a long, long time. But I'm glad it's still glad it's still trucking along.
0: I it, I did find it in some old uh, Dragon magazines when I was. Doing a search in them. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, hey, thanks again. Um, so, what do you say, uh, gentlemen? Do we get right to the main topic?
2: Mastering the RPG with Carl James. Dreams.
0: Yeah. All right. The main topic, uh, as we know, is to create interesting fights, and I'm going to turn it over to Eric as master of ceremonies for tonight. Eric, take it away.
2: All right. So, uh, yeah, right at the outset, um, I think the first question to ask for this is why interesting fights? And this one is almost self-answering. Like, I don't even know if we need to answer it, but right. <laughs> I mean, it's just more fun. I mean, do you guys can disagree with me, but it's more interesting, right? You know, you do the same fights over and over again, combat becomes very bland. And I think that's why when we, we look for this is like, how can we make things more interesting? Um, do you guys have anything else here or? Well, and, um, and,
0: and uh, the only thing I wanted to add was, um, uh, when we talk about interesting fights, it's it's people are, like to just fight. That's fine, but we're really yeah. talking about what makes it unique and an experience that people are going to kind of remember, and not just it was yet yeah. another slog to to yes. get to the end goal of getting through the dungeon, for example, <laughs> um, or six dungeons as a, as the case might be. So, yep, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, and
1: this was the thing that when I was preparing for this for this episode it's almost like what makes memorable fights, isn't it? Because, you know, uh, when when I was thinking about what are the most interesting fights that I've been in this year or or ever – It's really making them memorable. It's really making them stick in your player's mind. And it's that kind of, that was awesome. You really want want these things to be be quite extraordinary. And we have done an episode on boss fights and what makes a a good boss fight. Um, And I think a lot of what we said there is probably true here. But when you think about your normal role-playing game, you might have one, two, uh, maybe even three encounters in a session. How do you make these interesting? How do you make them different from each other so that it isn't just kind of moving things around and slogging through a through a, a massive chunk of hit points and how do you make it? And and for me it's about creating those memorable moments, the ones that, you know, after the session you go, that was really, really brilliant. Um and, and those high fiveable moments when, uh, yeah. when when players are playing, for sure.
2: And I think I think the thing with this is but I think we're trying to we're gonna try to illustrate here is that it's, it doesn't always have to be like you have to do a lot of work and make, you know, even for random encounters, I think you can use a lot of the concepts that we're going to introduce. Because it doesn't always have to be like the big boss, big scene, no, no, big, no. you know, uh, uh, where you spend a lot of time meticulously adding this and that and that. No, I think there's a lot of little things that you can do that, that makes the fight seem different. Um, that will be, yeah, more mem- uh, memorable and also just, you won't get that feeling of sameness, right? I think that's what we're trying to really avoid with it, is that kind of like, oh, here's another one of the same, like, you know, just pushing like, do we even need a map? Or we'll just use a grid and like not have anything there, right? So yep. um, yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Oh, cool.
1: And 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 you're right. And 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 you and out of all the big lists of, of suggestions that we, we might be going through here today, you can really grab one or two of these for yeah. just to spice that encounter up, just enough to give it a little bit more interesting than your normal kind of slog, for sure.
2: Yeah. Uh, and then, so yeah, I mean, this leads right into the next question of when do you do interesting combat? And I think we're pretty much already answered that it feels like, you know, almost every time. I mean, really, uh, because like we're saying, we think that you don't have to do this complicated thing, right, Carl? Like,
0: no, it's, it doesn't have to be fights can be interesting. Every fight can be interesting. If it's not interesting, maybe you shouldn't even have the fight, right? If it's just the kill time, so to speak. Maybe you shouldn't even have the fight. Um, so every fight should be interesting in its own right. Um, it doesn't have to just be a set piece. Uh, yes. Right. Yes. Exactly.
2: Um, cool. So let's let's move on to the really meat of this because that's what this is all about. And this is where we break down the kind of components of uh, what makes an interesting fight. What makes a more uh, memorable fight. Um, and really here, we're, we're breaking this down into four distinct sections. And like what James said before is when you kind of just pick one or two. And then, again, this depends on like how much how much does this combat mean? How much work do you want to put in? And so I think for just a random encounter, you might put just like one or two of these things in for something that's more uh, notable. You put three or four. And then for like a boss fight, you know, you might go with five or six of these just to really like change it up. So the four mo- the main components here is what we're talking about is the map which is kind of the general environment that's the 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 cup right that the things are going into the enemies that's the obvious right they have to have because we're doing it's a combat so you need your enemies um the third thing here is we're going to talk about is the victory loss conditions which i think this gets overlooked the most out of any of the other ones um and we'll talk about that and then finally the narrative how do we add narrative elements so let's start with the map um so what, yeah, let's talk about some of these individual components, James. What, what are what is uh, one or two that you can think of, of of like map things that you can add to a map to spice up a combat?
1: Well, the the, the the trick is is and and look, mapping is is huge, and we and I think we should probably do another episode on mapping as well. in the advent of virtual tabletops, um, maps I find are far more prevalent than than where, when we used to just gather around a table. Yeah. And pour out on a grid and just kind of mark it all up, or use your minis and terrain. But um, but for me, the the big the big three are terrain, weather, and obstacles, and 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 really creating interesting places with which to fight. Um, I'll start with the terrain, if we like, which is changes of elevation and just yeah. generally the field of play, and making maps interesting by creating. Uh, Changes and, and, and differences in the way that in the in the, in the place in which you fight, um, that could be a ravine, which which then kind of limits the amount of close-in fighting that you could have. It could be a, a small constrained area, so it, it restricts it it constrains the amount of range combat that you might have. It could be uh, submerged half in water. It could be shrouded by fog. It could be all sorts of things. But creating something in that in that element that changes up and restricts. Uh, how you can approach a, a combat, can approach an encounter, which then allows players to have to think creatively about how to overcome that terrain, to to be able to kind of adapt to it in order to to, to work as well as you can. Uh, a, a really really good example uh, even last night, I had a, I had a, a combat that took place in knee-deep water, now, it's not much, you know, it was, it was something a little bit. It just slowed everyone down a little bit. But it did allow people to duck under the water when a fireball went off. It did allow people to kind of, uh, you know, uh, grab some water and throw it into someone's face to distract them. Uh, it just gives an element to, to a combat that changes it, makes it slightly different.
2: Yeah, and I, and I think again when we're talking about map like you don't have to be this excellent map maker you don't have to be adding graphics this can just be squiggles on things like you have a map already and so like you were talking about for me the environmental hazards is huge here where you know you have a map that you already have you know on your computer or whatever and you just say okay uh because of what happened before that the forest is on fire so you just add squiggly lines on trees and be like this is where fires are right uh and so just even that which doesn't take much effort you're, you're producing something that's really creating a, a uh, hindrance for both you and the enemies and something, like you said, that have to, they have to get around. And so this can be a ton of things, right? Like fire on trees. This can be, uh, like you said, weather effects like wind or, um, you know, like elevation, like you said, or there's just so many things here. So always just think of creative little bits to put in um, that can do that. So, Carl, what are some other um, thoughts here that you have?
0: Well, um, I, I think you guys pretty much hit the big ones, but I, I don't know if it really came through that the dynamics of the envi- having a dynamic environment. You mentioned like the trees are on fire, and, but, yeah. but things that change over time. So it's, for example, you know, there's a lava flow that's eating away um, parts of where the players are standing. So they have to make a decision on changing their tactics in the middle of combat or there's a flood or something because they're no longer... The tactics they came in, like like for example, they're in the, yeah. they're in the water, right? And they're deciding, I'm gonna duck underneath it for a fireball. Well, what happens now if that water is getting deeper and deeper? They have to change those tactics over time, and and I think making the environment dynamic is is another way to make it interesting. Make sure it also feels 3D. I think you mentioned that a little bit. The you know it, it's easy when you're talking about maps. Um, you know, on the, on the table surface that they're really two dimensional representations of the world, if you can make it feel 3D. And, and I think, James, you talked about it, that, you know, there's a cavern or there or, uh, you know, maybe there's on the side of a uh, on the side of a hill and they're looking down. The archers are looking down on the player characters. What are they going to do about that? Are there environmental things that they can now uh, work within to protect themselves from that elevation? Um, but just make the environment feel like it's a real environment if it possibly can. And that's really tough because, again, maps are two-dimensional. Even with the animated maps you can get, and, and I'm a big fan. I, I'm an old school, so squiggly lines on a grid paper is is <laughs> great because it's supposed to be your imagination anyway, right? So I'm, I'm not worried about it. But today there's so many resources that have like animated maps, but I still yeah. look at them, and they're still not 3D. They're still just this two-dimensional representation of the, of the world. So if you can make it feel 3D, great. Make the environments dynamic. That uh, adds also a little flavor, I think, and makes the players think about tactics as they go through the encounter over time.
2: Another one yeah, what, I wanted to bring up here. Oh, sorry, James, did you want to say something? What,
1: one, of, one of my favorites is elevation. I, I, yeah, I love elevation. Too. Um, you know, things that are four stories above the earth, pits, uh crevices things that you can hurl people into is is one of my favorite parts oh, yeah. of it. and and the risk of being hurled it, that, that keeps players on on their on their toes you know if you've got if you've got a, a massive hill giant that's just picking up people and throwing them off a cliff uh you certainly raise the tempo and raise the the the, the, the fear um i'm really really well with that one but sorry eric i interrupted
2: no 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 it's totally good because because that uh, on that yeah and it really creates i find like it interrupts with the movement in interesting ways when you have different elevation, in different places like because, OK, you have to climb or this is, um, you know, uh, uh, whatever it's called, like slow terrain or whatever. Like so it really kind of mixes like where here's, you know, here's where people can move their full movement. Here's where they're in- interrupted and either the enemies or the players can kind of use that to your advantage. And it, it really does. And, you know, just switching even map to map where those things are can can even give the full map like a different experience um the Mm -hmm. other the other thing that i wanted to touch on here is which i think is underutilized a point is messing with scale and using choke points i mean that's kind of what we're talking about with elevation but when i talk about scale is you know when we're talking about going from combat to combat and maybe doing something just just minor things one of the things that you can do is sometimes have a giant map because that also will you know the players have to get to them right uh, or having a tiny map where they don't have room to really move about and, and properly have their stuff and have people flee, or have a mix of that where you have like one section is very wide open and one section is very constrained. So you can definitely me- mess with scale. Um, and then choke points come into that too. Like you said, like a bridge, right? We're talking about elevation. Having a bridge, having some type of choke points there, or like a, a small part of the ravine, um, those things can really offer interesting challenges or interesting things for them to capitalize on. Um, and again, you can mess with a map and said that, like, say, okay, like here's, a, we have a map that I found off the internet and there's this open area, but you're like, okay, rocks fell here. So there's this, you know, there's only this small narrow passage here and you can just use the pen function on whatever foundry, or whatever VTT you're using and kind of squiggle in things in there and just mm. say they're rocks, you know? So like we're saying, we don't know what to do all this effort. Um, so anything else, uh, James or Carl here that,
1: and, and your adversaries can change the terrain don't don't forget this yeah. you know and, and it could be as simple as uh, as a gust of wind that 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 a wizard might do that to extinguish all the lights so that suddenly it all goes dark or there's a gas that spreads across the, the battlefield or there's there's a you know a acid that that is that that comes out of a boss and and cuts out half the half the terrain because if you stand in it you'll you'll take damage it, you, it's it's creating terrain and creating obstacles that are dynamic, so that even if you set up a uh, set up what it looks like a very straight straightforward map and a very straightforward battlefield, doing things that change that uh, change that and alter it, so that so that players have to adapt and have to move.
2: Yeah, I think, because um, we talked about this in the boss fight, but, and D&D does this very well, is, is with we talk about layers, And this is going to combine with the enemy's part. It's very cohesive, mm. obviously. Um, but yeah, having lair effects, which are kind of themed to whatever enemy they're facing, right? And I think you touched on that. Like, if you're facing off with a, a dra- an acid dragon, or whatever they are, right, there's going to be acid pools around. Um, or every once in a while, like geysers shoot up because they have powers, you know, it's an earth elemental or something, or it's an earth witch, right? Um, so having those lair effects are the kind of, uh, final, and this, this can be weird stuff too, right? This doesn't have to conform to the natural environment. This can be something like, um, there's the, you know, it's, a, it's a, it's an arcane lich. And so, so every once in a while, like. Magical distortions happen and everybody shifted around, right? Your normal, you have your front and the back, but every couple rounds, oh, okay, they switch places because there's like weird temporal stuff happening because of whatever they're facing. So I think layer effects is another cool thing. Carl, do you have any final thoughts here?
0: No, I think, I think that's, uh, we hit some of the major points. It's, you it's just get creative with, uh, what you do and w- with the map. It doesn't have to be simple. Yeah. It can be, um, Make the map interesting is what it just comes down to. It, it's a piece. And don't be afraid to squiggle, right? Don't be, yeah, afraid, don't to be afraid to squiggle. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and we might talk a little bit more about about uh, about the actual creatures themselves, yeah. but some, some maps favor some creatures. And so one thing that I always try and do is factor in what – you know, if 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 a creature has lived here for a long time, how might they have altered the landscape to give them the extra advantage? And we talk a little bit about, you know, if you think about cover or traps yeah. or, um, you know, you can you can do all sorts of things with a map um, to kind of personalize it to the creatures that are living there. That you can personalize to the to the adversary that you're fighting to make it very unique to that to that encounter.
2: Excellent point, and that's a very good segue into our next section of. Enemies! <laughs> so, Leia, let's talk about enemies. And I think we should break this down into mooks and bosses elites because, yeah. you know, there, there's a difference here. So let's let's start with mooks. Uh, Carl, I know you're you're a big fan of mooks. You love using mooks. What are some things that
0: you do to spice up your mooks? Well, so so in Savage Worlds, we have extras and mooks, and they're, by definition, not as powerful as the player characters, and you can kind of cut through waves of them. So the most important thing is... Do that. Have them come in waves, Uh, make it keep them moving. Uh, Don't have them kind of come as one big batch that makes it easier for the players to just rip through them. It's not interesting. You know, it's like I use my 12 attacks that I have every round and I just keep cutting them down. And it's not interesting. It's much more interesting if they're coming and you, you feel yourself, you know, you're using your resources and then, oh, wait, there's more of them. And then have them keep moving. You know, they're not just coming and standing still. They're they're trying to use the environment to surround the players or to get into the most advan- advantage or, or a position that's most advantageous to them, that they can really cause havoc. And I I find that uh, you know I think you guys in the game you, you remember some of those guys some of the moocs who do. The, do some of the damage that it's like Well, wow, that guy just did something that he shouldn't have done he's like a nobody but yeah um, he was smart and uh kind of was part of a wave and, and they weren't just standing there they were they were like real opponents you know make the mooks a real opponent and not just window dressing
2: yeah and i think that's a really good point and and when we're talking about mooks often you know if you're in a type of game that has a prevalent enemy right if you're if you're in an undead heavy game say and you're fighting a lot of zombies like this is where we're talking about where you can give them different special abilities and we're them different themes like there's no saying that you can't have a acid zombie right so like we t- when we we're talking about before about you're doing a random encounter how do you spice it up it's like well if you already have the zombie spat block like just add in acid immunity and give them an acid like ball that they can shoot out of their mouth, right? With pretty Like 3D6 or whatever. Like just a really quick kind of theme on them or one of them, right? And it, and this goes back to what we've talked about a lot of... of um, I'm spacing out here. Like defying expectations or um, uh, subverting expectations, right? Yeah. Where like if they're used to fighting zombies and like... Have a special like have one of your special zombies and be like, oh, this one's been like experimented on and he's he's resistant to celestial whatever, you know, your game is celestial damage and actually heals from it. Right. Or whatever. Like uh, there's no you you can put those little things in there to like really disrupt the normal flow of play. Right. And um, I know also, James, you have. OK, oh, Carly.
0: Well, to I was just going to say this. and they're still yeah. not they're still not the big bad but they add yeah. spice to life. You know, they're, they're That's spicy right. moocs, right? They're still not the, just yeah, because they got some. Mooks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like jalapeno <laughs> flavored moocs. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. The limited edition mook of we add pineapple to one or whatever. Yeah. James,
1: go <laughs> on. I, uh, I, I love moocs. I think they're, they're amazing things. And, and there's two reasons that I, I think they're, they're really great for creating really interesting encounters. And in, and there's a couple of games that I use that that are very mooc centric. Call of Cthulhu, Pulp Call of Cthulhu uses moocs, and they come up with a rule that moocs literally are one shot death yeah. creatures, so that so that you don't have to whittle through a lot of hit points. You know, if you hit them, they're going to go, but you've wasted or not wasted, but you've used your action to try and get rid of moocs. So in in high fantasy games and in in uh, modern games, moocs are great for highlighting your wonderful powers. You know, it lets you let off that fireball that, that that destroys thirty guys in one hit. Makes a player feel like completely heroic. It it creates a really uh, memorable kind of explosion. Or that time that that your your hero throws that sticker dynamite and takes out five guys, or or blows up a car and and do, and does this kind of thing. So it allows for heroic, big scale stuff without necessarily. Kind of completely ruining ruining an encounter, destroying a boss, you know, kind of um, affecting the, the, the narration. So it allows for the big explosive type of thing. The other thing I love moocs about, and you, and we and you talked about this, is this is the idea of waves, where you present, um, you know, half a dozen kind of creatures coming at you in waves. The reason why I love that it's one of the very few dials. A storyteller can make mid-combat after you've landed some some uh, some enemies on the board, where you can either scale up an encounter or scale down an encounter if it's getting if it's getting overwhelming. So uh, you know when I run when I run Mook level encounters, where you might send eight guys up and then they all get destroyed in the first round. Well, that's fine. I'll send twelve in next time, and then oh now they're struggling. So now so you can kind of you can kind of ease off and ease on depending on how the players are going and, um, and just to keep that, that difficulty level maintained and the excitement where you need to.
2: The the mook spigot we could, we could call it. (laughs) Yeah. That's (laughs) right. right. (laughs) Um, yeah, very cool. And, and another little trick here, I think that's an easy way to spice something up is you can add, you can add in another enemy who's neither, who's not allied with the enemy that you're facing, like a random beast, right? Like you're fighting zombies. And all of a sudden there's a giant worm that shows up and, um, then all of a sudden, they're fighting that and they're fighting each other. You know, there, there's, there's things you can play with. Um, I think here, let's really talk about this. I think this is a very interesting subject that could, that could almost have its own video. But let's talk about tactics and, tr- and intelligence. Because, you know, there's that old adage, right, in games where about, like, you can play, the, you can play them smart or you can play them hard, I think, right? Like, yeah. because if you play them smart, you don't want to have as high as CR and you don't want to have as many, as many on the board. And if you're paying them stupid, you might be able to have stronger ones that are just kind of, you know, not necessarily thinking about oh, going for the healer. Um, so I think th- when we will talk more about this, I think you guys have a lot of thoughts on this, but I think this is important to switch that up, is to, is to not every combat have smart types and not every combat have dumb types, is to, if you kind of um, flip-flop between those, it will, you know, seem more fresh for the players. Um Carl, what are your thoughts on tactics and uh, troop intelligence that kind of thing
0: well it's interesting that you mentioned that you have some that are you know they're they're using good tactics and some that aren't I think you know the the, the important part is that the opponents I like to think the opponents should be using the tactics that make sense for them i mean they're of course they're yeah. uh, you know they're, they're going to use things like cover they're going to use um, things like if they're, if they're faster and they have the ability to, to move quicker, they're going to move quicker and, and try to flank and do things like that. And, and I think that's just, I think that makes it more interesting to the players in general, because, you know, they're not fighting a mindless drone. Cause again, we, we don't want just, you know, throw waves and waves at people just to throw waves and waves. It wants to be an interesting combat. So I, I really feel that, um, you know, having them use the tactics that make sense for them. Now, some of them are, are, like you said, they're hard and they're just not smart in the way they do things. And they're going to be like a tank and they're just going to walk and absorb damage and try to get as close as they can, as fast as they can without being smart. And that's fine because that's using the tactics that make sense for that particular enemy um, or group of enemies. Um, and that's what I think helps make them feel a little unique because they each act in a certain way, like you're... you're zombie that spits acid they're they're going to use different tactics than the ones who are just kind of uh, meandering towards the players and they're going to expect that right your players are going to expect that that's something more interesting and unique about that enemy and the feel of it
2: yeah for, for sure I, absolutely I, I, and i don't know if we're disagreeing here but i almost feel like i have to push back but i don't i don't think i am i think we, we we're kind of in line but i guess what what i was more thinking is that like you know in, in a combat where you have basically another adventuring party, right? You don't want to have too many of those people because they're going to be playing very smart, using a lot of different abilities, um, to the maximum efficiency. Right. And that would be a very interesting combat to do that. And then in maybe another fight, you know, so then that one you might have four or five enemies that they're facing off against or six. Right. And then another fight, you have a horde of will, you know, mutated wildebeest. And maybe you have 15 of those, right. And they're real dumb. But you can have more of them because they're not just going to, like, try to use special abilities and, and like, you know, try to get behind cover. And they're much tougher than the adventuring party. But, so you can have more of them, right, because they're so stupid. No, and I guess I, that was my point of kind of mix of playing with that. And we you know, are exactly
0: we are on the same page because because okay, uh, okay. when <laughs> I talked about the tactics, that makes sense. So if you have wildebeests that are yeah. big, dumb, you'd expect the players expect them to maybe charge as a large group coming at them and now the players have to think about what are they going to do? They need to find, you know, that 3d level of, uh, getting out of it. Um, but that made sense. That makes sense. For, it doesn't make as much sense if the, these things are sneaking around and trying to get into position yeah. to attack. Right. I mean, that's all I was saying. And I think we're, oh, we're in violent. Yeah. agreement. Yeah. yeah, for sure. We're, we're
2: yeah. definitely agreeing with that. I, I, I think I just meant that like you can have, I mean, this is something that maybe not even appropriate to this conversation, but like, you can have more enemies that are dumb. Or stronger enemies that are dumb, right? Like intelligence playing with that uh, it makes them stronger, I think, right? I mean, I think that's also the point I was making. Yeah, sure. Um, okay. I'm with Anyways. You. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I don't think, yeah, I think we're. James, what is your thoughts on all of this?
1: Uh, I love monster tactics. I think, uh, to be honest, I would say that this is the thing that keeps me most interested in combat. For someone mm-hmm. who runs probably a dozen combats a week, uh, I find getting into the mindset of the monster or the creature, looking yeah. at their intelligence score, looking at their perceptions, looking at their, their their array of abilities and trying to think logically about how that thing would act in combat, I find really creative and really wonderful. There's, and, look, I've talked about this in Cool Stuff Found before. Um, Keith Ammon, uh, The Monsters Know What They're Doing, which is a Dungeons Dragons-focused uh, tactic book for Dungeon Master, was an absolute game-changer for me in terms of, uh, looking at every ability of a of a of a monster and trying to figure out how that would turn into a tactical situation, and trying to think cleverly about how how you would use that, which takes into account that the dumb lumbering, you know, kind of uh, umber Hulk that doesn't have much intelligence that just kind of slams into you, it, it deals with that, but it also deals with the the clever little kobolds that might set a trap and might do other little bits and pieces. So there are yeah. resources out there that help you on this. Um, if you find yourself you know, struggling with how, how different uh, adversaries will react under different situations, there's certainly ways that you can, that you can deal with it. Yeah. Um, another quick plug that might lead us into the next topic as well is um, he has just released a book about three months ago called How to Defend Your Lair which is a fantastic little source book for more boss stuff about oh, cool. how would you how would you actually set up a lair to to defend it, which for me is a great reading for anyone who wants to create a dungeon from scratch and try and work out how these things would make a lot of sense. But uh, tactics uh, are great. I, I I won't I'll never forget a time where I almost TPK'd a group not not deliberately, but because a group of goblins use doors so well. They literally <laughs> opened a door, shot an arrow, closed a door, which meant that the players had to somehow deal with getting to a door, opening it, trying to figure out what was going through it. Meanwhile, another door on the other side of the room is being opened and they're shooting and closing a door. Just goblins using doors and cover changed the way that entire thing happened, as opposed to goblins rubbing out with a spear and just trying to stab people to death. Um, If you can think logically and think intelligently on behalf of your monsters... uh, Encounters are not only cool for the player and and make it more challenging they're actually really good fun to run as a dungeon master and I mean half of this is about running encounters that you're enjoying playing of course, from the yeah. other side of the screen as well
2: yeah yeah, yeah and I think uh, and then one other thing I want to touch on here is is I think we've talked about it a little bit is is the troop composition and that's you know where you just don't have all melee fighters, right you have some range fighters, you have a support or you have. Um, a, a, like a large beast that they've tamed, or something. Just having the different things with different abilities will, will also challenge. And the final thing that I think will lead really into the next one, because we talked about special abilities, is, is boss theme modifiers, is what I called it. But basically, theming mooks to a boss, right? Mm. This is, I kind of almost think of uh, Batman villains and like their henchmen, right? If we think of like supervillains. Um, is that when like you know you're fighting these zombies, but you, then you're fighting this weird lich? who, like, says, I don't know, has a candy obsession or whatever. And then so you're fighting, yeah. like, uh, you know, zombies that have candy armor on and can, like, uh, you know, manipulate people to have to, to uh, like, do will saves or want to, like, eat candy canes. I don't know. I just, I just threw that in my mind. But, like, you can spice up mooks by, like, having them really themed to a boss, right? And I think that really goes into let's talk about boss slash elites. Um, James, what are some things for you for for bosses that you like to add or or elites, right? Now it's not always a boss. Sometimes there's an elite, um, like yeah, an elite boss. or, or yeah. multiple elites.
1: So yeah. that's um, uh, I love diversity of stat blocks um, and and subtly changing stat blocks for. Uh, to to show differences in monsters um, and and how that then plays out in a combat. So, you know, a great example, if you've got, say, gnolls, these kind of hyena-like creatures, you might have a shaman, you might have a champion, and you might have some kind of assassin within that group, the kind of rogue within the group. And so presenting different stat blocks for different monsters are, 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 are a really good way of spicing up an encounter and making it less kind of same same. that everything is all the same and then for a boss you really up that even more you kind of you kind of a you they need to be a little bit more robust because the the biggest thing that will happen when you drop a boss of any kind on the table is everyone looks at it and everyone channels all their energy into that into that boss and there's good reasons for doing that and narratively we might talk about this later because there'll be plenty of monsters that will give up and flee once the boss goes down so creating a boss persona within a fight really really great and it doesn't have to be the big end of campaign boss it doesn't even have to be the end of level boss but someone that is dictating the enemies uh, coordinating the enemy's attack and is obviously in charge creates a, a red flag so that it gives it, it, it gives the players someone to aim at but it also um Often these these stat blocks for bosses have morale-inducing or increasing or uh, or abilities to coordinate um, and and using those abilities to kind of um, create a little bit of spice about how these these encounters go. I see plenty of stat blocks in Dungeons and Dragons where, as an action or as a bonus action or as 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 an extra ability. The, the, the boss can rally the troops and I'll let them move or attack when it's not their turn or, 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 or deal with that. And um, and in a similar vein, uh, Pulp Cthulhu has a really great ability that says that's kind of like get in front of me as an ability. Yeah, so Savage Worlds has have, that too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. If, yeah. If
1: the boss is about to get hit, he he, he grabs one of these yeah. mooks to take the hit for him. <laughs> that kind of allows the the extra um the, the, the combat to continue. Yeah, so, I think, I think um, Savage
2: Worlds is called fanatical minions, Carl. It's like yep. a setting rule. Yeah. yeah, something like that.
1: Yep. Yeah. So having those kind of things that that allow. Uh, that allow the whole encounter to change quickly uh, because there is someone coordinating the fight. Really great thing to add spice to an encounter.
0: Carl, what about you? Well, so, so I think, um, what's interesting is the stat block side of it. Um, Having some those unique characteristics, having the the boss with something unique about them now i mean d and d obviously the stat block they always have something unique I think the just the key point is it 's not just more hit points to make something a fight more interesting is not just yeah. to increase mm. the hit points of the boss so that it 's a harder struggle to complete because harder does not necessarily equate to more interesting, which is what we're we 're all about talking about it 's much more fun if the boss and this ties all together what you were saying, right? You've got the the Iceman, the Candyman, and you have the stat blocks that have unique characteristics. And it all kind of plays together to make the boss got a unique set of characteristics that make them a boss in the first place. Um, because interesting capabilities, interesting theming, like you mentioned, Eric, just not more hit points um, for yeah. the sake of having more hit points. Um, but otherwise, I think um, James, you're you're hitting on some of the real keys there for sure. Um, and again, I think here, let's talk about
2: layer actions, because or just layer like how you fit them into the layer, because we talk about layers a lot. Um, and then one of the things I think about is like how do you how do you tie them into the environment? Like you can give them, and, and when we talk about bosses, I'm also talking about elites. And this is maybe something an elite that the, the players fought before, but this elite, like we said, like James was saying, has a different special ability, and you can really tie that into the map. Um, just to bring it back to the last one, so I, like, I I may bring up like the 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 Savage Worlds game that I ran you guys through, um, the Agents of Wow, and then you yeah. guys were fighting the Rat Tyrant, and he had a regeneration, um, that literally was like rats coming from tunnels back into him, and Carl like quickly figured this out. You have to you had to like shut those tunnels off to to, to like end his regeneration. So I added that regeneration and was like oh. He's like a bunch of rat, you know, this big rat monstrosity. Um, so, yeah, it's a bunch of rats coming in. And, like, so I kind of used the theming of the, the environment. Like, I, I said that in the narrative. Um, and that was, like, a cool ability that added some spice to it. Um, and I think, yo, know, James, you must have a lot of ideas about layers, right, and that kind of thing.
1: Again, yeah, lairs are, are huge, and uh, if, if I think of some of the fights that i put you through with hag lairs, for example, yeah. using lots of different terrain-inducing hideous stuff that happens. Again, look, I I don't get this stuff from A Void. There's uh, some fantastic guidebooks out there. There's uh, an any award-winning one called Home Field Advantage, which is a, a full compendium of lair ideas for various different, again, Dungeons and dragons focus, but any fantasy game could pick it up, uh, which talk about... What are the, some, of the, some of the layers that, that, you can, that you can find yourself and what are some of the, the things that might change? And they're as simple as kind of having a noble, having servants run in to assist or guards run in to assist because they're kind of the, 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 the rich noble lord or, or, or very site-specific stuff. But for me, layers, there's a couple of things that, that, that happen with layers. The first one is you can create a mood so you get a bit of a sense of place about what's happening here, um, and then you allow, again, that terrain to work for you. So it's the vines coming out of the walls and uh, to to help protect the plant boss, or it's uh, it's the aboleth which is like an underwater creature, uh, uh, yeah, with clouds of of euphoric gas that might change people's minds. It's kind of it's doing all of these things all at once by creating a, 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 a a cohesive. Layer that meets the theme with the boss, that also meets the theme with the mooks that also meets the theme with the terrain, and it kind of a layer will bind it all together to make it um, to make it logical and make it interesting and make it fun.
0: Carl, any thoughts on this or any other ones? I think it's brilliant. James just said was was brilliant. The environment, the the map, the environment and the enemies all should be symbiotic. They all work together as as one. One unit, and um, there's a reason they're in that lair, and there's a reason that they put traps and they put things in there, and they have places for their moocs. So yeah, that's brilliant. Good, good thought. Because um, you, you kind of um, want
1: you kind of want consistency and, and predictability in some ways, don't you? Like that, that, if if you're hitting the the zombies that have got acid in them, and you're yeah. seeing pools of acid all over the place, um, you know when you meet the boss, you're expecting acid. So it, you're kind of setting it up so that so that you're creating these mini worlds that that are logical and that extend on themselves, so that so that yeah. it becomes more unique and interesting the further you descend into the lair of the beast.
2: Um, yeah. And of course, and the, we're not always talking about bosses here. Like we, 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 this could even be in a random encounter where you have the one kind mm. of mini boss or elite um, that adds some flavor to it. One of the things that I like to do here, and this is another quick hack, because I think we need to talk about ones where you plan and ones where like, you know, you have a quick thing that you can just throw in is you can give an elite or even a boss like a magical item that might really change what they do, like a stronger magic item um and that's something that's easy to do right you just kind of throw at it like you know a whatever helm of teleportation and then you have it teleporting around the map where normally it wouldn't be able to do that and that's something that maybe then the the players can pick up or they can you know uh maybe it's broken at the end but they can kind of get money or money out of it or a minor ability from that like maybe the limited charges work for them (laughs) yeah like exactly you don't have to give them you don't have to give them the full thing but you can give them a reward that was based on this like oh you know we fought a you know whatever a uh a bloat, bloater. They call them bloaters. They're like bloated zombies. We fought one of these before. They're really tough. This one was teleporting around. How is that possible? And then they found like a wedged magical item into its neck that allowed it to teleport. Um, also, you can I, make your own. Uh, sorry, go on.
1: I love potions for this very reason. Yeah, because I was going to bring get, up You get, an, you get yeah. an ability, but you don't give the item to the group after they kill the guy. So they can chug a potion of flying, and yeah. suddenly you got a flying zombie for some bizarre reason. Spewing acid. Because No, not?
2: That's, that's an excellent point. I was going to bring that up. And you can still reward them. So this is something I think about in my Fallout game that I ran. I had these this kind of normal people that stole from the party, and they were kind of trying to get revenge. And I added this thing in where I was like, okay, I I, I thought of this like weird grenade that – is basically puts out pheromones and I had just made a quick chart of like rad scorpions and mole rats and they just, they, the players were then rolling a D4 and like the enemies would throw this grenade and it would summon either rad scorpions or mole rats and like a variable <laughs> map. Like I just had them rolling die and this added like a super chaotic element uh, that really like changed up, you know, it was a really unique fight that like, and then later on I was like, yeah, you guys can learn this recipe and then make these they're not like easy to make. But I kind of gave that to them as a reward, so they could, you know, themselves have this ability, um, and it was a lot of fun because it was just very chaotic and it added like a, a second element to it, you know. Um, so yeah, playing with consumables and just kind of throwing wrenches in by giving them special items, because because I think items are a way to give a weird ability something that kind of counter to what you said, James. That doesn't that isn't the most cohesive thing, right? Because the kind of big dumb tank that's able to teleport like that doesn't make sense like they would how do they know teleportation magic oh but they they swallowed a potion or they just happened to have this weird crown that allowed them to do it um so yeah any, any other thoughts on kind of the, elite the, cons- here? the
1: consistency of how i play compared to the chaos of how you play
2: i just mean that you can mix it up right because <laughs> yeah, sure. part of the thing we were talking about about interesting combat is that not that the combats that you're doing, they they kind of will feel different, right? So you could have your really cohesive fights, and then this other combat has a chaotic element to it because, you know, it, it doesn't have to make sense. Like they just found this item, but it but it makes the combat itself very
0: different. I think More that's the kind of point sure. that I was making. Absolutely. Um,
2: any other thoughts here on elites, Carl
0: or James? No, I think uh, good cover, good coverage.
2: Okay, so let's move on to the the third uh kind of uh topic here or whatever third uh third so third nice. component, yeah, and um, this one i like I said before at the top was I think this one gets overlooked the most, and I think this one is almost by far the easiest to add an element to the 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 combat um like a different element, and this is what we're going to talk about is victory loss conditions um so carl what what are when I'm talking about this what do you, what do you think of when i when I talk about this explain this
0: to our audience. Well, so when I hear like a victory-loss condition, usually when we're talking about um, fights, there's only one that people talk about. We're killing everything on the field. Nothing can get away. We're going to slaughter all. And that's the victory condition. What we're talking about is kind of throwing monkey wrenches into that a little bit and changing up. Like, um, for example, I think... Just even a time element, just to start with, yeah. as a thought. Um, there's a limited time to do what you need to do, or there's there's a you know there there's something that's forcing you. You need to get through this in a certain amount of time so that you can stop something else. And so it's not about killing everything. It's about killing enough or neutralizing enough so that you can continue on your way. Um, and keep moving. So it changes the goal. Um, and that's just one example. I think we'll be talking, everybody will have their own examples, but that's just the idea is it's not just kill everything. It's, there's a goal specific in mind that we're trying to accomplish that defines victory for you. Um, yeah. Yeah,
2: let's talk about time a little bit because I think we can even expand on that because it both goes toward victory and loss. I think you illustrated really – and you talked about this before with like a flood, right? That's a time element. Um, But like I think we talked about like maybe like a heist or there's a bomb going off. But I think you made a really good point about um, you have to do – you have to kill a certain amount or get to a certain place by a certain amount of time. And this can also go the other way. Like the, the thing could also be like you have to keep or distract the enemy for at least eight rounds, Right. Um, and if like a certain amount get, get like behind you, then, then you've lost basically. So the victory there is like keeping the certain amount of the enemies at bay for eight rounds or whatever. Um, so it's not, again, it's not about all killing. Um, James, or then let's talk, why don't you throw one at the, at the, at the board? Yeah, look, I, I, I think there should
1: always be uh, – there's never a one way to skin a cat, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think there should always be a secondary objective or something else on the board that allows you to short-circuit the encounter in some way. Um, I, I quite enjoy the Indiana Jones kind of trope of, you know, you've got the flashy dervish wielding the swords and he pulls out the gun and then cuts the, cuts the encounter down into two. Having something that allows you to short circuit an, an encounter is also fantastic in terms of a memorable encounter that doesn't necessarily descend into what Carl was talking about, which is a two sides slog at each other until one, one has, has basically used up all the hit points of the other one, really. It's, it's having a, a secondary loss condition that um, the monsters will withdraw once they've burned down the barn. You know, yeah. so that so that if you can stop them enough, so that the barn doesn't burn, or if you can extinguish the fire in the barn, then the monsters go, okay, we're not going to win this, we we withdraw. So that you don't have to kind of slog yourself all the way through there. So having some element within a within an encounter that lets you do something a little bit different, um, and it could be as simple as convincing the boss. To call off the attack or something like that, having a having a different win loss condition than, than just slogging it out, I think, yeah. uh, very very important. Having this secondary objective, uh, hanging over you, uh, to in order to to kind of deal with, uh, with the combat.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's very very well put. And I, I, another one here, I think that I like that I've used before is uh, like a rescue or protect mission. And I often like I think we can really draw from certain video game design, especially like. Tactical role-playing games. I mean, I don't think you guys play yep. that much, but um, th- those often have a lot of these kind of things. Just again, to spice up fights. And one of those, to me, is you know, uh, is rescue, protect, uh, where you know the goal is again not to kill everybody; it's to rescue a certain creature. And I, I, I can think of just James going to uh, Feywild. We had one where we had to rescue a child. I remember that one um, yeah. from the Fey, and that was a really cool thing where we we had some combat, but we had to kind of think. We had to use our powers in a different way, or it's to protect something. I mean, even like me and Carl um, did a, uh, on our tabletop tango, we did a a chase example. And it wasn't just us getting away, it was actually us protecting this VIP, um, just as part of the, the scenario. So I think... Yeah, rescuing protecting is a really easy way of just having that like a, a, a person or an object or like you you said, like it's protecting a barn or maybe it's a shrine, right? You have to protect the shrine mm. and you can combine these. You have to protect the, sh- the shrine uh, with, you know, for at least eight rounds for the, the, de- the, the semi the demigod to be summoned to the area or whatever. Um, yeah, add, oh, adding other, civilians
1: yeah. or adding non-combatants to any encounter oh, yeah. change, changes things dramatically. <laughs> I love having having fights erupt in the middle of a town square during an important event, um, just because it, it's not just killing the bad guys; it's making sure the bad guys don't kill innocent people in the yeah. in the in the interim. It makes it a very, very different combat,
0: and it, and it can oh. be very. Uh... Uh, crazy and you won't, may not even know who the combatants are and who aren't the combatants and you have to think about it, right? So now um, the players have to yeah. bring some intelligence and, and tactics of the it now goes back to tactics of the bad guys pretending to be regular folks can be a big part of that. So it it, it just keeps r- rolling back to all these elements kind of clicking together. Um, and And one of the things that also is interesting is if there's something you want from this encounter. Uh, we've talked about protecting a barn, but what if one of these people have something you need and you're trying to get it? All yeah. you really need to do is find that one individual and you're trying to get what you need without having to kill everything or without having to you, you just you're trying to minimize the threat so that you can get what's special. And that's another that's another victory condition that you can take advantage of. I think.
1: Yeah, that's I, important, isn't it? It, it? You you need to understand what both the goal of the enemy is and what the goal of the players are in a lot of these encounters. You know, and the goal does not have to be annihilation. The goal can be something very different. Um, and just kind of making that very plain to a group so that they can focus in on that goal rather than just try to kill everybody. Uh, last night we did an assassination plot where the the goal was not to kill everyone in the court. The goal was just to kill the king. And and it was fantastic. It was subtle and it was it was little and they had to do it very stealthily and they had to kind of deal with that encounter. Had that devolved into a we are killing everyone in the in the in the courtroom it would have been a very different encounter and to be fair probably quite boring. It would have been, you know, kind of guards against against PCs for three or four hours. Instead, it was a fun little twenty minute Great little expose where they ended up assassinating the king. Fantastic kind okay. of encounter. Very
2: cool. And then yeah, they burned and, the and castle just, down,
0: right? No. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> the murder hobos. <laughs> <hub was. clears throat>
2: yeah, I, Carl, going back to what you were saying, I, I wanted to bring up just a fight that we had recently in your game that really illustrated that well. It was that the one where we were on a ship and the crewmates were were basically brainwashed. And we quickly figured out we had to destroy s- certain enemies. Like each enemy we destroyed might have been the ones brainwashing. Um, those crewmates. So we really had to ignore the crewmates or try to lock them down while we destroyed the kind of robots that were brainwashing them, uh, hypnotizing them. So that 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 put definitely like another that just as an example that put another element on our quote unquote win condition. Right, we weren't just slaughtering everything, um, and and I think even with like we said even with the assassination like the one thing you can also have capture. Just, just, just to throw in some more more examples where you have to capture a certain character, right? So then you're not even trying to kill them; you just have to get to them and, get, and grab them, right? Um, that's another one that's a mixed one. And the final one I wanted to bring up, and we can still, you guys can still bounce them at me, is I kind of brought it up at the very, very top before we even talked about the subject was the what I call is the no-win situation, where you're mm-hmm. kind of just about mitigating damage or loss, and it, we've kind of touched on that here. But to really specify, like like you were saying with a really powerful enemy it's it's not even about winning the combat it's just about can, can this goes back maybe it's time or maybe it's environmental like they just you know they do it for long enough or they do it where they get to a certain place right they're like okay you're, these things are going to keep coming at you you can't win you just have to get to this like basically the exit right like you just have to be, get there that's the win condition is getting to the yep. exit so um these ones the, the like, old you survive possibly... till dawn against
1: the zombies try... yeah exactly yeah. Or, or get to the yeah.
2: airplane right like you just yeah. have to get to the airplane and take off like um or like you said there's there's an evacuation happening right you're protecting these people you can't protect them all and you can't protect them forever it's just it's just about protecting them as much as possible before you know the the fire finally consumes the town um
0: are there any other ones you guys want to bring up no, I, I I think there's probably a whole bunch of other, I mean, if yeah. you watch any popular media, you'll probably find a number of tropes that you can take advantage of. Um, these are just a few, but there's probably plenty of tropes out there that that you can um, pull into your game um, as, as Steel, victory conditions. Right? Yeah. Yeah, we talk about
2: steal, like go and steal from video games. Go and steal from books, like
0: go and steal from
1: any superhero movie out there. There's (laughs) always different different ones that don't just mean beating up everyone around the room. Yep.
2: Okay, um, so finally, let's go into our final kind of main component here. It, it's narrative, yeah, and this is this, is this one's one. probably the most obscure, I think. Um, <laughs> the episode's a long James, one. James, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, James. Yeah, it was a long one because there's a lot to talk about. So, James, let's talk about this narrative. What are we talking about when we talk about narrative? Fights. So. <laughs>
1: Often the most memorable parts of the game are not necessarily combat. Often the most memorable parts of the game are still how the story plays out. And so I guess this is just a little addition. I think the first three that we talked about is really how to create interesting combats. In my mind, there's another fourth one, which is how it's about not dropping the narrative component of the game just because it's a combat. Um, you know and there's a couple of ways you can do it you know there's there's law exposition that can happen where people can can uh, uh, reveal things about the world in combat and that could be the type of armor that they're wearing it could be the something that someone says it could be uh you know the dying gasp of the of the of the mini boss that, that says you may have killed me but you'll never kill the real boss there could be <laughs> things like that and I, and I guess for me it's just not ignoring the fact that the story does not have to stop just because you're yeah. in a fight. I think, I think too often I've been in games where there's a lot of plot exposition, there's lots of clues, there's lots of everything, and then it's like, oh, well, let's just stop that now and let's have a fight. Um, it, it's about incorporating the narrative elements of what your story is trying to tell you into the fights. I think that's an important part so that there are, so that there are things that the players learn while the combat is going on. And it does allow and, – and it allows role play as well. You can you can talk to these enemies as they go. They can talk to you. You know, you, there, is, there is the opportunity for discussion while you're shooting people in terms of these combats, particularly in, in combats that go for, for significant amounts of time and that involve significant waves of mooks. You can kind of – you can reveal the plot as you go. I think it's just an extra addition that, that I think creates another element of interest as a, as a combat unveils.
0: Well, and I think also, it it can also be that through this narrative, through the conversations that are happening in combat, that the combat's going to end. You know, you discover there's an opportunity that this bad person that you thought was bad all along isn't, right? That's a good trope. Yep. And you only yeah. discover that while you're Um, cutting through minions and then go, oh, well, these guys weren't all that bad anyway. But uh, (laughs) Um, so I I actually had a convention game I run where um, the players are, again, post-apocalyptic and there's a kind of a missile silo that's about to launch a missile that came back to life. And the AI, they get into a combat with the AI ultimately or the, the minions of the AI. And then they realize the AI just doesn't know what it's doing and they talk it down so that it doesn't launch this missile, and killing it would not maybe have even solved the problem. But um, that was part of the overall kind of combat as it was going on at the rounds level, as opposed to just purely at the exposition, um, pure role-playing level.
2: Yeah. Yeah, this is really interesting. And, I, and I, I, I love your guys' points on this. And I also think that you can... Um, because yeah, you should always inject narrative, and, and some of the easier like when we're talking about random encounters now, I think there's a cool opportunity here that you can almost create some narrative, maybe that you were even thinking before, like, and you don't even have to know what you're gonna do with it. I mean, I I, I was just watching this show with by the producers of Lost, and I, if you guys ever watched Lost, I mean they just threw everything at, at, at <laughs> and right. they Most had no idea where it was going either, right? Yeah, they so, didn't know where it was going, but you can kind of do don't do it to that level, but you can kind of do this like maybe during your fight you're like, and all of a sudden they're like. Over the sky, there's this hologram of a scorpion eating its own tail. Not even a snake, like a scorpion. And like, you might even not even know what that means at that moment, right? Um, but then maybe then later on, you're like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna like reintroduce that little like symbol back into the plot, so that because then the players will have that combat and they'll be like, what was that? What was that hologram about? You know? And they'll be yeah. like, what is that gonna add something? Like just even that little bit of just something like that of, of a mystery or like a clue or something weird um, will intrigue them. And then you can tie that back into the story later. And on the inverse, if we're talking about the kind of random encounters or, you know, maybe they when I when I say random encounters, I don't always really just mean that like you're rolling on travel table. Maybe it's something that they got into a fight that they you weren't expecting to have at that moment. You can also put Easter eggs in that maybe you were thinking of putting in through, you know, later on through an exploration side. You might maybe steal one of those and put that in as an Easter egg into the combat. I think, James, you were kind of talking about that, where you can have like, maybe later on they were going to find a body right with like a note or with like a symbol on the on the emblem um that would lead them to this gang but then you can have this fight that you weren't expecting they could have like that same symbol on the buttons of their uniforms or something like you can kind of add in easter eggs that you were thinking ahead of time um into a fight to kind of just add that other element so yeah i think that's a really you- good point yeah go on and,
1: and, and I, I again, I'm coming from a from – a, in, in my modern games of Pulp Cthulhu, for example, my, the enemies talk all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and so I had an assassination at a mosque where some, some cultists were trying to take out a guy and they're talking to the guy as they're trying to shoot him, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, we've come for you because you did this. We, you know, prepare to die because you've betrayed us. And it gives exposition to the group and it gives them a reason to both protect the guy that's about to be assassinated and it, and it allows for some level of dialogue, which I think is really, really important. Yeah. And it changes the nature of a, of, a, of a combat to it's your turn, roll some dice. You get that interactivity and that interplay as you go. I, I, and I love it for the spicing stuff
0: up. All right. well, final thoughts, uh, Carl? I, I think my final thought is we we broke this down into kind of four categories, <laughs> but they all work together as a whole. Um, yeah. You know, the and you can p- you can pick a little spice from one, a little spice from another, a little spice. But, uh, you know, just make sure that it all kind of still makes sense as you do it um, so that the players feel like it's it's cohesive. Um even though you're just trying to do a little bit of something special for them. James?
1: My final thought is we could probably talk for another hour on this. <laughs> yes, <part>. yes. <laughs> but, we
0: definitely uh, could. But
1: yeah, but, um, but, yeah it's, it's try to think outside the box, try and do something a little bit different. And honestly, if, if, if as a storyteller, you're excited by an idea, of any of ideas that you've heard here, you know, try something different. Just try it and, and see yeah. what happens Because because uh, I'm sure that your players will love you for it.
2: Yeah. And I have, I'm pretty much in line with you guys. And, and I really agree with you, Carl, that, I mean, a lot of these are cohesive, like we've talked about, but I think it's also, you know, don't be afraid. Like I said, at the very top, like to pick one or two out of these, even if it's a random encounter, you know, because mm-hmm. to me, those are the ones that, well, I understand. I, I like using them at times and I understand that, you know, they, they really do br- kind of breathe some more depth to the world or width to the world. Cause it's not always just about the, you know, the one linear thing, the quest that you're on. Um, but it is good to have, you know, a mix in the combats and, and make them feel different between them. Because I think, to me, as a player, that's what kind of, that redundancy and that sameness is what really kind of drags you down and makes it not as fun. Um, it's interesting to have those things to react to, to kind of challenge you. So, yeah, I, I think, I think it's, it's easy, it is easy to kind of pick one or two of these and just kind of bring in,
0: even, even if you don't have time to prep. And so, um, um, and now as you're fighting yeah. your boss and he takes his sword and he takes it from his right hand and puts it into his left hand. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to see that. I would love to see where
2: the, the boss, because I don't think it, that's a really funny thing that you bring that up, Carl, because I don't think I've ever seen that in a game where it's like the boss was, hand, and you see that in media all the time. You see that in North, Western, you see that in anime. I would love to have a boss who was like specifically nerfing themselves so the players thought they were doing really well and then you know yeah like you said the left hand this is not my final form (laughs)
0: yeah
2: they take off like animate like they take off a weighted vest uh you know weights they were holding on and they're like way stronger (laughs) or you know whatever they like drink something that like oh i was actually had poison you know i don't know there could be a lot of fun things there but that's that's a good final uh thing to 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 kind of bring back to the name of the, the, the the episode right
0: Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> so hey, thanks everyone for tuning in. I hope you got something out of it. Remember to drop by masteringtherpg.com to learn about our other projects and contact us and support us. Uh, email gamemaster at masteringtherpg.com if you have questions, need advice, have some cool stuff found just like today um, that you want to share with us that we may not have heard of. Um, or if you want Eric just to adjudicate some differences of opinion, we still are waiting for that. We're still waiting for that. <laughs> um, you can also catch us on Twitter at Mastering the RPG. Um, if you like the show, give us some positive reviews. Um, just let us know. I mean, really, I, I mentioned the email, but just send us an email. Let us know if you're if you're hearing it and you're listening to it, and um, you know uh, where you're listening to it, where you're hearing it. That'd be great too. So. Once again, I'm Carl with Eric and James. So say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. Happy
2: gaming.